Welcome to Career Tools. This week, what to do when you don't have enough work. The questions this cast answers are, what do I do when I don't have enough work to do? Who should I talk to when I don't have enough work to do? And why is it important to have work to do? So there's probably a million people in their cars uh, who listen to podcasts on the way to work laughing at the idea of not having enough work to do. Uh, they have more work than they can do uh, ever. In fact, you and I started this call by me saying, I need an extra 20 days in a week and an extra 30 hours in each day because I don't have time to do everything I wanted. The irony. Um, but there are times when we have capacity to do more, especially if we're doing the work to make ourselves more and more efficient, which is what we should be doing. If you have... Uh, listen to the delegation cast or you've been to one of the conference where Mark or Sarah or Kate describe delegation and they describe you have a box with balls in it and each of the balls is your responsibility and when your your boss delegates to you it comes to you as a big ball a big responsibility something that's difficult and uh, important it has a big mass if you were doing physics but your job is to kind of shrink that. As you get good at things, the time they take, the importance they they have in your little box of things you need to do, they become smaller. And the idea is that you get them to become smaller so that you can take on the next thing, uh, which is new and exciting or gets you to what you want to be able to do or gets you to the promotion you want or the higher salary or whatever it is you want. The idea is that you shrink your walls and then you get another one and then you just increase your capacity. So we might have not enough work to do for good reasons, like we've been working really hard and increasing our capacity and getting good at the tasks that we have, or it might be for bad reasons, like there isn't enough work in the company. And that's that's not a good sign. So before we start, if you don't have enough work to do, and the reason is the company doesn't have enough work to do, or your team doesn't have enough work to do, or you're an odd one out in your team and you happen to be doing something different to what everybody else is doing and everybody else is snowed and you're not, those are things that you should worry about. Think about, you know, what does that say? If if the company as a whole doesn't have enough work to do and right now the economy is heating up, if your company doesn't have enough work to do, it's probably not in a really good position for the next five years because there should be work because the economy is heating up and that causes more work. And so if there's no work in your company, that doesn't bode well for your future employment. If there's not enough work for your team, what's the word? Um, they're no longer needed because technology changes things, right? There's no need now for accountants who add up with calculators because the computer does it for you. You know, it does all that work. And I know computers cause work as well as well as get rid of work, but there are jobs that are disappearing because of the changes in way the ways things are done or the changes in desire, right? At some stage, none of us will want a car that doesn't drive itself because why would you want to have to drive the car if you could have a self-driving car? And so if you can see that on the horizon, if you can see that your team or your job or your company will be superseded by technology or just change in the things we do, then 
you need to be thinking about what can I change to? What skills do I have that transfer to something that will be useful, will be required in the future? So that's a kind of, put that in the back of your head. Think about that. And that's your medium to long-term plan of getting out of there and finding something that does have a future. And this cast, in this cast, we're going to talk about what your short-term plan is. Mm-hmm. That short-term plan includes do your own work to standard first, look for work to do, and talk to your boss. We'll start with do your own work to standard first. Simply, you don't get credit for doing extra work when you haven't done your own work and completed you know, the parts of your role that are most important and done it well. Uh, you have to be meeting the standard. Sometimes when we're looking for work to do, what we're actually looking for is a distraction or an excuse not to do what we should be doing. I think, you know, there's a lot of notes out there about procrastination, which don't use looking for other work as a way to procrastinate your work. Work is called work for a reason. It's not called fun or leisure. It's called work because it is. And no matter what job you do, from the lowliest person in the mailroom to the CEO, everyone has parts of their job that they don't want to do that are boring or irritating or just unwelcome in some way or another. And we talk about this at conferences sometimes. We'll say, wouldn't it be great if your job was just to get up in the morning, be yourself, and only do things that you want to do and get paid? Yes. That would be lovely. That's how reality TV started, I think. I think that's, that's how that evolved. And so... Everybody has parts of their job that they don't love to do. It's kind of, you know, there's a ranking system, I always feel. There's the stuff I really like to do, and then there's the things that I would rather not do every week, but still have to be done. And Mm -hmm. that exists no matter what level, what job, what role, what organization you are at. That's simply a function of our work lives and corporations and just jobs, frankly, One CEO has said that the worst part of his job was making cost-based decisions that affect the lives of the families, their health, their life, disability, retirement, benefits, and things like that. And you could understand him putting off meeting with HR to make those kinds of decisions for weeks or months. Right. Why would you? You wouldn't work. Like, if if you knew, like, I have to meet HR and they're going to tell me we have, like, $500,000 for employee benefits this year. And now we've got to work out on how to, how to, to share those out evenly. And you know that some people are going to get what they need and some people aren't because there's never enough money for that kind of stuff. And on the other hand, you can't bankrupt the company. (laughs) That's easily a conversation you would put off. Mm -hmm. And it could be put off for a while, but a CEO has a duty both to the company and to part of as part of his fiduciary responsibilities to make decisions in the interests of the company before his own and in the interests of the people who work there before his own. Another way to say that being that if a decision needs to be made about the benefit system within the organization, the CEO actually has a legal duty to make that decision, even if it's not something he finds, you know, fun or especially a good time. Right. Fiduciary duties are the duties that uh, the owner or uh, the person in a company has 
to make decisions to the benefit of the company. So, so it's a kind of a legal thing. This is what you have to do, make decisions in the interests of the company. And actually, everybody has a fiduciary duty to the company that they work for. You don't often hear it. For other levels, you usually hear it in the C-suite. And it's a big legal concept. You know, it's big. I'm sure if you looked up fiduciary and in some legal textbook, there's pretty entire books about it. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it feels heavy-handed when you're talking about helping out a colleague with something that's more interesting than what you're doing. But on the other hand, there's a good it's a good reminder that there's a relationship between the work you do and the money you get paid for it and the responsibilities that you have to the organization. I have a responsibility to do my actual job rather than help other people with their jobs. And I some days I spent an hour last week working with Sarah on a spreadsheet that was way more interesting than anything I had to do. And it's okay because I made that hour up. So, uh, But I have a duty to do my work and not necessarily help Sarah just because it's interesting to me. Now, it's useful to the company as a whole, so it's fine. I can do that. But if I was just doing it because it was interesting and I was avoiding doing other things, I would be breaking my fiduciary duty to the company. Sometimes it's hard, but again, this is why we call it work. Another way of looking at this is to think about your annual performance review. So your end of the year review or your annual review, it doesn't always fall at the end of everyone's year. Often bonuses or changes to your compensation are based on performance review scores. And there's probably a section for like teamwork, but it's only one section out of five or 10. And the other four or nine are about your work. That's your primary responsibility, right? Your primary obligation is to your organization. And that's why we recommend that you get your work done first and to standard, even if it's not as fun as some other stuff. You can tell what the organization values by what they put in your performance review. And if teamwork is one fifth, then that's how much time you should be spending on teamwork. It's hard to make it that way, but but for a lot of us who are way more interested in doing other people's jobs for them or way more interested in avoiding our own jobs, that's a good reminder, right? <laughs> Teamwork's only a fifth. Four-fifths is about your work. So get your work done first. Mm-hmm. And you have to make sure it's all of your work and to standard. I have been in a situation where one piece of my work was way more interesting than the other stuff. And you know, wanted to spend time in that one area of my role. And it's kind of like the, if you ever get in a spreadsheet real, real intensely, real focused, it's like the spreadsheet rabbit hole. And I had a, you know, part of my job that was like that. And I, I love to do it. And it was easiest for me to spend the most time there, even if I could have been more efficient and focused on doing that in a more fast paced and focused way. But I really liked it. So it it has to be all of your work and it has to be to standard. So that's our first step. And then if you if you still have time or you still don't have enough work to do, we're going to do the second step. This step, it does require that you're well connected with your team. So, you know, we said, watch out, don't over-involve yourself in teamwork. And you still have to be aware. You have to pay attention when you're not talking about Uh, relationships all the time for no reason. We really do value them. We think they're really important. And having a good relationship with your teammates and the other people on the team 
means that you know who's struggling and who could do with some help. And also, it probably means a little bit about what you know and what you could do to help. Maybe you have a status board for everyone's work and you can see that someone has a lot of red or a lot of tasks coming up that you could help out with. Uh, I actually had this thought this morning because I'm not traveling this week for work, but Sarah is. And I think she's probably got some stuff on her plate that I could take off just so she could focus on presenting and focus on traveling. And, you know, you have fewer hours if you spend two of your days on an airplane. So I can probably help. And it's things I know how to do, right? I'm not going to offer to do Sarah's stuff that I don't know how to do. That would be silly. That would just make it harder for her too, right? Right. So none of us uh, volunteer to do Paul's work. Paul uh, is our IT guy. And we don't volunteer to do his work because if we say we'll update the database or we'll do something in the technology, we'll all get it wrong. So that's why we're not allowed to do that. And none of us are silly enough to volunteer to do it. On the other hand, I might volunteer to do some of his customer service stuff because a lot of that is just looking up information or giving people information. So I could take some of his customer service, which I know how to do, or at least I can work out how to do, to leave him to do the stuff that only he can do. So don't don't volunteer to do stuff you don't know how to do because if you get it wrong, you've made things worse, not better. It's better not to have volunteered at all. Don't offer to correspond with clients if you don't know what the answers are. You know, for example, if I looked at his customer service queue and I had eight questions I knew the answer to and two I didn't, I wouldn't answer those two. Apart from perhaps to say, hey, this person's really busy, he'll get back to you in a few days. Maybe I might send that email, but I wouldn't want to tell them something technical because I don't know the technical answers. And that means sometimes you end up doing someone else's boring, low-level, mundane tasks because that's the stuff you know how to do. And that's okay. You still get credit as being someone who's willing to help out. And you get to learn more about somebody else's job. And the more you know about other people's jobs, the more you can help in the future. But, you know, if you think you're going to volunteer to help someone, put in your mind first, I am probably going to end up doing their boring tasks. And if you think that's going to bother you, then don't volunteer. Because there's nothing worse than a volunteer who's grumpy about what they volunteered to do. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's like, uh, you know, stop moaning because I'd rather have done it myself, even though I don't have time to do it. So don't volunteer for things you can't do. And don't volunteer if you know that doing their boring tasks is going to make you grouchy. Yeah, that would be not fun. If someone handed you the work and then you complained about it, that would not make their life easier. They'd probably not like to listen to that very much. Another thing that we can think about doing is completing a step and a task that will help someone else get to the next step. Maybe you could offer to gather data for a report that someone else needs to write, and so they could skip that initial preparation step. You could also offer to do the data entry for a spreadsheet so that they can use it for analysis. You might make a few phone calls to update customers or... Maybe you would check in with a service provider that you know will keep your colleague on hold for a long time. You know, you could call and be on hold, I guess. It's up to you to look for those things sometimes too. We have a lot of this. There's some. There's a lot of things that we do here that require someone else to take a really small step that anybody knows how to do because they're easy things. And again, it's not the most glamorous things. And 
we're helping the organization if we have that time and that bandwidth. We should ask our colleagues if we can help them. It's pretty simple. (laughs) Well, one way to say that is, would it be helpful if I, and then you say something that you think would be helpful? Because if your colleague is overworked and stressed out, or, or even not stressed out, it's hard sometimes for them to think about how you could help them. Uh, it's hard for them to separate all the thoughts that are going around in their head. So to help them allow you to help them suggests something. So I gave that example with Paul earlier. I might say to Paul, hey, do you want me to cover your customer service queue for a couple of days? And he can say yes or no. But it's easier than say, hey, Paul, is there something I can help you with? At which point his his mind goes to his thousand long, item long to-do lists and thinks, oh, I'm sure there is, but I can't think about what it is right now. So you're skipping them that step. Sometimes it's hard to separate work. I think this is one of those times, too, I think people have the same experience during delegation. It's hard to think of the pieces of your work separately when you're involved in it a little bit. So sometimes yeah. it's it's more useful for someone to just say, hey, what can I help you with this specific thing? Because it can be tough sometimes to think, especially too, I don't always switch gears very quickly. I know there's other stuff to do, but I'm not thinking about the work yet because I haven't scheduled time for it yet. And so if someone says, hey, can I help? It's sometimes easier just to say, well, no, because I don't know what I would have you do. And, And two, it's sometimes hard for other people to hand off the less glamorous things. Right, because you feel kind of bad about it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, Sarah asks me all the time if I need help, and sometimes I feel badly because I don't want to ask her to send a newsletter or something like that that's what I would feel is not the most fun thing to do. But you have to keep in mind, too, that other people like different kinds of work than you. I know someone who loves spreadsheets. They love them. And I don't love spreadsheets. And if I asked that person, they would be happy. Because they love spreadsheets. What we don't recommend is that you engage in useless work. So don't do useless things. There's no point in arranging the filing cabinet in color order. And if it could be cleaned up, if it could be tidied or made less messy so that people can find things, then that's useful. But don't spend time making your internet page look pretty. Instead, update the links if some are broken or make information the team needs more readily available. So don't go around doing things that don't provide value just because you're bored. That's not a good thing. You want to focus on providing an increase in the quality of the work, right? Sometimes the way I think of it is increasing the standard, making it a little higher quality. So that's something to focus on. Not useless stuff, like not organizing coffee mugs in the break room or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. On the other hand, if there's no if there's no clean cups, then washing them, that's helpful to other people who are too busy to wash the cups, right? Exactly. Sometimes it's easy to get down that rabbit hole of, you know, I'm going to do something that's fun. I'm going to make the, the filing cabinet color order and it'll really, really pretty. But if it's not helpful, it's not worth doing. And if you do help, offer to help, then do that task well. It just adds more work to someone else if you offer to help and then do a really rubbish job. <laughs> uh, and if your, if your colleague has to redo the work because you didn't do it right, because you didn't understand the instructions, or because you took on something you really didn't know how to do, then they're just going to be more frustrated with you than grateful, and you don't want that. You want to do a good job. Yeah, it's 
not helpful to do bad work for someone else. You also have to focus on doing things in the time frame. You have to think about their deadlines. And if you promise a certain time frame, you need to meet it. It's really not as helpful or helpful at all. If you say that you'll help with something that needs to be done by Friday, and then on Friday tell them, oh, you didn't get it done because you got swamped, even if it is in your own work. It's basic professional courtesy to alert someone that you won't get a task done by a deadline. And to tell them that, convey that as soon as you know that you don't plan on meeting or cannot meet the deadline. So as soon as you're aware, you have to communicate that. If someone's relying on you, then it's really important to tell them as soon as you can that you won't be finished by the deadline and that you're not going to make it. I guess the whole message through all of that is don't volunteer and then make someone else's life worse. If you're going to volunteer, <laughs> make their life better. Please make their life more. Please. Because <laughs> that's what you would want, right? It's a, that platinum rule. Treat people how you would want to be treated, and that's what you would want. So uh, so last one up is talk to your boss. There's a lot you can do within a team talking to your peers and offering to help them without talking to your boss. You know, if as long as your work is done to a stand to the standard and and you've done everything that you should have done, and as long as you're doing something useful for your, one of your peers, you don't have to necessarily go ask your boss if you can do that task. It depends a lot on your boss, if your boss is one of those people who likes to know exactly what you're doing, or if you're in one of those places where you have to account for your time to a certain project, things like that, then you might need to talk to your boss first. But often there's things you can work with your peers uh, to fill some time in a slow period, uh, and you don't need to talk to your boss. But if you have exhausted those possibilities, then you, you need to talk to your boss. And the way to say it is... I have some capacity or I have some extra bandwidth, which sounds very corporate jargon. Anybody's paying corporate jargon bingo. Uh, you just got you just got two squares. But the alternative is I'm bored or I don't have anything to do. And you can tell the difference. Just saying those things makes me react differently in, in my own body, my, my own kind of... I'm bored is what five-year-olds say to their parents. I have some capacity, what can I do to help, is what professionals say when they're bored. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And you may have to tell your boss a few times. It's not as if he might immediately have ideas to use capacity that he wasn't aware of. It might take a minute. It might take a day or two. Sometimes it takes a while to summon up the list of projects, to bring those things to the forefront of your mind or just to work out how tasks could be redistributed to use that time. So don't be surprised if the extra work your boss wants you to do isn't glamorous. Again, it might not be the most awesome. You might have been working harder to become more efficient, hoping that you'll get work that your boss is currently doing because you want to get promoted, but that doesn't mean that your boss wants you to do that work or that helping will automatically equal glamorous things. Yeah, you might be thinking, oh, I've worked really hard on being really productive with all my own tasks so that so that I can do the monthly briefing that goes to like the next three levels up in the organization and I get some visibility. But if you ask your boss, I have some capacity, what can I do to help? Or is it helpful if I do X? You have to expect that it, the potential is that they say no, that something else is not helpful, or that they don't want you to do that. 
because they want to keep it to themselves, because they don't feel able to delegate it and explain everything that's about how it's done, because they can't separate it from other work for a million other reasons. <laughs> you can say, would it be helpful if, and mention that piece of work, but don't be disappointed if the answer is no, and you're asked to do something else that's much less glamorous. Mm-hmm. There's not a job where you get to just wake up and do whatever you'd like. A lot of bosses are terrible at delegating, and your boss probably thinks there's work that only she can do. And you need to do some of that easier work well first, prior, in order to show that you can be trusted. And then that might encourage your boss to start to give you some of the work you want to be doing. We're kind of garnering trust there. Yeah. The first thing we at conferences when we talk about delegation, everybody, all the managers in the room go, nope. There's stuff only I can do. I couldn't possibly delegate it. And then we make a bunch of suggestions for things that people think are outrageous to delegate. But that's the way most of us are. We feel like it's nice to feel, oh, this stuff only I can do. (laughs) It's probably not true. And it's probably true of your boss too. And so you do, you have to build up trust. You have to, you have to be a little patient for the stuff that you want. You have to sometimes do stuff that you don't want to do in the hopes of getting what you want in the future. It may be surprising to some people to think that there will be one day when you have spare time at work and you're not using it to uh, browse Amazon. One of our goals as professionals is to become ever more efficient at the things we do and to be vigilant about the things that don't need doing anymore and to be cognizant of what our work should be and what's most useful to the organization. And as we become more efficient, as we focus better on on what should be our priorities, we start to have free time. And now we know what to do with it. Thanks, Kate. Thanks, Wendy. Bye, everyone. That's all for this week. We'll be back next week with more guidance. 